0: the temptation of Jesus. It's very, very vivid. It's very, very graphic. It's very, very pertinent to us. But before we get there, we just need to park the bus here a moment. We need to think about the character that's introduced in Luke 4. His name is the devil. Now, if you go to the Estuary Centre, if you go to Kiln Lane to Sainsbury's, if you come and uh, do a survey at the front gates, which I don't suggest you do because I don't think it's appropriate, but were you to do that and interview people, anybody with a modern... A secular worldview would think you're crazy to mention a person called the devil. They really would think you're off your rocker. in modern parlance. They would say there is evil in the world. There is corruption in the world. There is cruelty in the world. But all of those things are not down to a, some sort of uh, supernatural force. The reason there is evil, the reason there is cruelty, from a secular mindset, is to do with uh, psychological conditions, to do with sociological uh, effects as well. If we want to get rid of cruelty, if we want to eradicate evil from a secular mindset, we need better education. We need to concern ourselves with social concern. That's how we can actually release the good from inside people. It's the idea of a secular worldview. That if you come in as a Christian and say, actually, no, in Luke chapter 4 and the whole of the Bible, indeed, there is a reality of a person called the devil who... Uh, along with his forces, wants to do the church harm and is behind evil in the world, they would say, come on, that's very primitive. That's very simplistic. But the Bible says exactly the opposite. The Bible says if you cannot see, if you do not look at the world, if you do not embrace the worldview of the Bible, that indeed there is evil in the world. There is a person called the devil, someone called Satan, who wants to do the church harm, wants to to frustrate the purposes of God, wants to do harm to individuals and indeed nations and the whole world, actually you're the one being simplistic. It confronts us in our worldviews. We're the ones being primitive. We're the ones being uh, reductionistic. And to understand this passage, we have to acknowledge that the reason that there is evil in the world and cruelty is not because poor education It's not because some people are brought up in an evil part of the world and others in a good part of the world actually each one of us struggles with the temptation that Jesus was presented with because of the reality of evil and the reality of the devil but let's begin by getting to chapter four now our first point look at verse one Jesus is on a journey Jesus is on a journey One of the memories I have of living in America is the fact that America is a big country. You need a car to live in America without a doubt. America has interstate roads that vanish into the distance at the vanishing point. They go on for miles and miles and miles. You need cruise control and then you can take your foot off the gas and relax. They have five or six lane highways where you can overtake like a good Englishman but you can undertake like a cowboy as well. It's absolute havoc. They have uh, ways to get onto the road and get off the road that are the same. They have diners at every point and then that's before you look up in the sky and don't see the beauty of the sky, you see billboards. They're absolutely huge. Everything is designed in America for you to pull off the road, to gain comfort, to gain sustenance and to elongate your journey. But like a good Englishman, I just wanted to get there and avoid dunking donuts and so on. Why do I say that? It's because Jesus is on a journey. Did you notice that from verse 1 and verse 15? Luke wants us to see this very clearly. Verse 1, and Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan, having been baptized, and was led by the Spirit in the wilderness. Very interesting. Now, if you've got an ESV, an English Standard Version, it says in the wilderness. If you've got an NIV, like uh, the sheet that was read to us, unhelpfully in this case, it says into. Actually, the Greek word there is in. Jesus was already in the wilderness, but he's living in dependency and trust on the person of the Holy Spirit. In Matthew chapter 4, it says into. And I think the NIV guys, the translators, they wanted to make them marry up. But the Greek word there in Luke's gospel is in. Very important, as we see shortly. So Jesus is in the wilderness. He's on his way to ministry. He's been prepared by his Father. Here is my Son, whom I love. With him, I am well pleased. He's received the Holy Spirit that he didn't have before because he's a human, but he's also divine. Verse 14, look at the end of the passage. Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit, and news about him spread through the whole countryside. Verse 15, he taught in their synagogues, And everyone praised him. What happened in between is very important. But here's a point. Remember the journey that Jesus is on. What happened? Jesus stayed on the road. Jesus did not turn aside for comfort. He stayed on the road. He persevered. He was a man empowered by the Holy Spirit. He knew what self-control was in the face of temptation. And he stayed on the road. Look at verse 2. Jesus is on the journey. He's just gone through a fast. That's what this means in verse two, for 40 days being tempted by the devil. All Bible commentators who look at this passage say, what is going on here is not uh, anything accidental or incidental, Jesus is fasting. He's in the wilderness. He's in living in dependence upon the Holy Spirit. He's being guided by him, he's been sustained by him. But at the end of 40 days of prayer and fasting, he's hungry naturally he's hungry. And that's what happens in verse 2 and 3, where Satan comes to him the first time. There's no reason why Jesus Christ cannot eat. He will be hungry. But here comes Satan, if you are the son of God, tell the stone to become bread. The fast is over. You've got the power to turn these stones into bread. I mean, what's wrong with that? Jesus will be meeting one of his own physical needs. But what's very interesting in the Gospels is, Jesus Christ never uses the power that God entrusted to him in a way to meet his own needs. He never uses the power that God entrusted to him to meet his own needs in a way that you or I would. There are times when you're watching these films, or reading the DC or the Marvel comics, when Superman wants to kind of Woo Lois Lane. And so, what does he do? He kind of puts her under his arm and says, Watch this. And then he goes across the skies, doesn't he, and takes her to Paris, but without Eurostar. And then he wines and dines her and he whizzes her back because he can use his powers to meet his own needs. Jesus Christ never does that. Jesus Christ uses the power that God has entrusted to him to meet the needs of other people, to heal the sick, to raise the dead, to feed the hungry. Jesus Christ never says hey look at me levitate. He never says I'm going to write in the sky. He never says I'm going to blow the top of that mountain with a word of power. He never uses power that God has entrusted to him in the way that you or I would in a self-seeking way. He always uses his power to meet the needs of other people. Then look at the second temptation verse five. Look at the kingdoms of the world. Isn't Jesus supposed to be the ruler of the world? We've just read that he's the son of God and here Satan comes and tempts him whilst he's on the journey to say you can rule right now. You can rule and reign in this kingdom but without the cross. That's what Satan is doing. There is a way for you to receive the kingdom without the pain of the cross. Do you know all these kingdoms of the world? I can get them to you. I can pay for them. I can ship them to you direct, like Amazon, but without the cross. That's the temptation for Jesus. It's there with the bread. It's there with the rule. It's there thirdly with... And what's it there for, thirdly? Look at it. I want you to go to the top of the temple. I will show you just how much you can see from there. Why don't you throw yourself off and we'll do something on the green screen. We can do something where your power can be shown Where God's resources can be brought to meet your need, you will float down like a feather. Those are the temptations that Jesus is facing. I want you to leave the journey. I want you to turn aside from the pathway of obedience. I want you to take a rest from all the pressures that you are facing. I want you to use your Father's resources to meet your physical needs. Will Jesus stay on the journey? It's a battle that we all face. Will we take God at his words? Will we rely on his provision? Will we maintain the long road of obedience? It's the temptation that Jesus faced when he was on the journey. But having looked at the passage once, I want us to look at it again. Look at Jesus' strategy, number two. Rather, look at Satan's strategy, excuse me. No worse faux pas than that. Look at Satan's strategy, secondarily. Look at how Satan tempts Jesus. It's very important. Satan doesn't come to Jesus and say, worship me directly. He doesn't say, you know who I am, I'm the devil. What does he do? Notice he doesn't just tell Jesus what he can offer him. In verse 5, very key word, he shows him. He shows him. Look at verse 5. Satan doesn't just say, listen Jesus, you know who I am. I own all the kings of the world and I can deliver them to you. No, Satan leads Jesus Christ to a high place and showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world. What Satan is doing here is giving Jesus a vision of glory. The sight word is very important because it shows us how Jesus, rather how Satan operates. It shows us that what Satan was trying to do was to tempt Jesus with a, well to inflame his heart to inflame his heart by capturing his mind, by giving him a vision of what he could achieve, what could be his without the pain of the cross. That's how temptation works. Satan saying, I want you to see and love the kingdoms of the world so much, says Satan, that you will want them without your father. I want you to see what I can offer you without the cross... And without the hard work of obedience, without your crosswork, without the pain, without the suffering that you know is coming, I can give you all of this. He wants to inflame Jesus' imagination. It's a, a temptation that's coming through the gate of the eyes. Look at it. And this is exactly how Satan operates with us too. He comes to us wanting to inflame the imagination of our hearts and minds and says, look at what you can have now. You don't need to wait. You don't need to trust. You don't need to endure. You can have this now. Apply this in two ways. There is clearly a temptation, whether we're here this morning with Christians or not, to not complete your tax return by the end of the month. There's clearly a temptation, overtly, to watch pornography on the internet. It's about 70% of men, who uh, use pornography on the internet it's about 30% women and it's on the increase those are clear temptations there's a temptation to drink too much but very often Satan works at a far deeper level there's temptation overtly but there's temptation on a deeper level and I think it's here in this passage Satan very often wants to grab our attention to grab our sight to inflame a desire in our heart for a good thing that God has given to us, but he wants us to make it an absolute thing, that we will want so much that we can choose to have it even without God. That's what happens here. Look at the first temptation again, bread. Why does Satan come to Jesus and say, if you are who you say you are, make this stone bread? I mean, what's wrong with bread? What's wrong with wanting food to eat at the end of a 40-day fast? Look at the second one, or rather the third one. Look at, look at the third thing. Uh, not only is it food, the third temptation is safety. Come, I'm going to take you to the top of the temple. And then I want you to throw yourself off and call a legion of angels so you don't even hurt a fingernail or a toenail. What's wrong with food and safety? Or look at the second one in the middle. You could say that's the bad one. That's the mistake. It's power. But hang on a minute, Jesus is the Son of God. So of all the people in the whole of the history of the world of whom power would not be a problem but would be appropriate, it would be Jesus because he's the Son of God. So there's food and there's safety and there's power. There's nothing wrong with wanting safety. There's nothing wrong with wanting and using power if you're the Son of God. But the key again is that Satan wants to offer this to Jesus without the cross. You can have this now without the pain, without the obedience, without anything else. I can give it to you right now. Here are good things, food, power for Jesus, safety for Jesus, but you can have them now. He wants to inflame his heart. See what I can offer you. Here's a good thing that can become an ultimate thing. That's how temptation works. Rebecca Manley-Pippet puts it this way. Whatever controls you is your Lord. If you live for power, you're controlled by power. If you live for acceptance, you're controlled by the power you want to please. No one controls himself or herself. You're controlled by the Lord of your life. Friends, it can be anything. You can become uh, consumed with the desire to want to be a good parent, a good mum or a good dad. You can be consumed with wanting to work really hard so that people think that you're excellent and people think well of you. These are good things to want to be a good parent or to work hard. It could be money. It could be absolutely anything. It could be the desire to want to be in a relationship. I mean, no one thinks, do they, today I'm gonna commit adultery. I'm going to have sex with a work colleague. No one thinks that, but it happens in more cases than we care to admit. Where that desire to want to be in a relationship gets uh, fanned into flame in your own heart and through sight you're thinking I don't have to wait I don't have to trust I can have that now and one thing leads to another and before you know it the desire for a good thing romantic love becomes an affair you didn't intend for it to start that way you're on the road to obedience but you are tempted to leave the road for something you could have right now that's how Satan often works. It can be overt. It can be pornography. It can be drinking alcohol and drugs. But very often, rather than a big thing, it's, it's a subtle thing. It's a good thing that becomes an ultimate and a ruling thing that we would rather have to such a degree that we'd even push God out of the way to have it. That's the way Satan works. Jesus is on a journey. That's Satan's strategy. But thirdly, I want us to look at Jesus. How does he respond? Jesus is not just our example. He's our substitute. What do I mean? It's really interesting to see how Jesus responds every time. Clearly, he uses the Bible every single time. He quotes from the book of Deuteronomy, from chapters 6 to 8 of the book of Deuteronomy, where God gave his law for man to live by. Where God gave his law to provide food for men to eat, where he gave his word and commanded men and women to worship no other God but him. And it's interesting to me that Jesus doesn't say to the devil, Can you please pass me the scroll? He knows this. So he hasn't just memorized these as proof texts, these are embalmed in his own spirit. He's steeped in the Bible. He knows truth and loves it. And we could stop the sermon right here and say, well, here, go and do likewise. If you just know enough of the Bible, that's the way to fight temptation when it comes. If you're struggling with temptation, your real problem is you don't know the Bible well enough. Go and learn more of the Bible, and then you'll be fine. But I know my heart, and I'm sure you know yours. We will never get to know the Bible well enough, To fight this foe, we will never know enough of the Bible to fight this temptation that we'll face in the week that's past or in the week to come. So is Jesus Christ just our example or is he our substitute? Look at how Satan tempts Jesus. He doesn't come and attack him and say, I want to get Jesus to lie. I want to get Jesus to doubt. What is Satan doing? He comes to Jesus and says, I want to destroy him, not as an example, but as a substitute. I'm going to destroy him as a savior. I don't mind what Jesus does, but I've got to stop him going to the cross. That's why Satan comes and tempts Jesus. Don't empty yourself of your glory, Satan says to Jesus. I want you to worship me rather than your father, Satan says to Jesus. But it didn't work. And so he wanted to return to Jesus at an opportune time in the future. Jesus faced incredible temptation here, and he would face it again not to go to the cross in the Garden of Gethsemane. And yet Jesus said, just as he did here, not my will, but yours be done, speaking of his Father. Jesus came from heaven to earth as a saviour, not just as an example. He came as a saviour to live the life we should have lived and to die the death that we ought to die. He came and put himself under the law as our substitute he came to die the penalty for our sins, not as an example, but as a substitute and as our saviour. He's doing this not just as an example, but for us in our place as a substitute. And as we see him doing this, and as we see Luke again and again and said, look at the humanity of Jesus. We see Jesus Christ not just as an example, but as our substitute, not just as the son of Adam but as the second Adam. Jesus Christ came willingly submitting himself to the demands of the law going into the wilderness where he prayed and fasted for 40 days. Not 40 years but 40 days. Jesus the son of God, the son of Adam but also as the second Adam where the first Adam Failed under the demands of the law, failing to trust God and take him at his word. The second Adam, the Lord Jesus Christ, succeeded as the obedient son of God. He's the second Adam. He's the true Adam, but he's also the true Israel in the wilderness who succeeded where they failed. Friends, he's doing this in our place. And so when we're faced with temptation, we don't think alone what scripture do I need to apply to this? As if we can save ourselves. But we commit ourselves again and again to see the Son of God as the second Adam, as the second Israel, dying for us. We're accepted because of him. We're accepted because he resisted temptation. And because he resisted temptation, so can we. Because of the strength and the presence of the Holy Spirit in our hearts. And we see Jesus dying for us not just passing a test for us we can see how we are accepted in him even if we fail the test we need to have our imaginations and our hearts inflamed not by what we can see we can get by by him dying for us it's not simply a matter of memorizing scripture we need to know what scripture is all about and it's all about him It's all about the Son of God, the second Adam who died for us, for the sins of the world. Why is he letting himself be pummeled on the cross? Why is he persevering when it would be so easy for him to take an easier route? So easy for him to uh, bow the knee to temptation, bow the knee to Satan. Why is he persevering? He's persevering for you, and he persevered for me too. And friends, when we see that, when we see Jesus Christ being pummeled for us on the cross, when we see him not calling down a legion of angels, when we see him hungry, when we see him standing against Satan's temptations, then we see him not just as an example, but as our substitute. When we see him standing in Gethsemane, and hanging on a cross. He's there not just as an example, but as our substitute. And when we see him in that place, when we see in our hearts inflamed by that truth, there's the power by which we can stand in the face of temptation. When you're tempted to think, if only I was a better parent, if only I was a better mom, if only I had and you're tempted not to trust God seeing him doing that for you will enable you to say no and to take a stand and to maintain the journey of discipleship and obedience and trust that's why this passage is here we see the journey that Jesus was on we see the power of and the strategy of Satan and we see the truth that Jesus Christ is not just an example for us He's our substitute. Let's pray together. Father, we recognize that this world is full of temptations, whether we're here Christians or not. This world is full of struggle and difficulty, and we're tempted to bow the knee and just to give in to whatever it is that would make our life easy to give in to the enjoyment that there is in sin, the power that it can have over us. And each of us has weaknesses at different points. But we thank you so much for Jesus who went into the wilderness and who stood where the first Adam failed. Who stood in our place and who died on the cross for our sins. Father, we thank you that the same power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead is at work in us if we're Christians. And because of that, we can stand in the face of temptation knowing that it doesn't rely on us. But the power at work in us is the same power that was at work in him. So please help us to stand in the face of temptation in the week to come. Please help us to say sorry to repent when we have fallen in temptation in the week that has passed but I pray that you would give us that long obedience of faith recognising that we are weak but you are so strong and we thank you so much that Jesus died in our place and for our sake Amen I'm going to hand back to Martin we're going to sing a couple of songs now and then I want to ask you one question
1: To my mind there, inflamed by the cross. We're going to sing two uh, two songs, Cornerstone and It Is Well With My Soul. And as we sing these songs, whatever you're going through at this moment in time, will you nail it to the cross? Will you lay it down at the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ? Just think about the hope that we have Jesus' blood and his righteousness. I rest on his unchanging grace. And then the third verse then, with trumpet sound. He's coming back for us. So these things we're going through are just temporary for a moment. may seem like eternity, but there's a day coming when they will end. And are you able to say at the end of this meeting, it is well, it is well with my soul?